0: Just just before we get started, Paul, I'd just like to ask you a question. Do you ever have a cheese sandwich without chutney in it? Always. What? <laughs> Are you serious? I'll have chutney if I'm
1: out, because that's how you tend to get them. But I tend... Oh, man. But I don't have chutney at home.
0: Oh, you see, I think I think the country needs to know this fact. <laughs> so normally I'll take this kind of stuff out, but I'm keeping it in the podcast this week. That's <laughs> shocking. How can you have a cheese sandwich without chutney <laughs> eh? (laughs) Anyway, boys and girls, welcome to episode 007 of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. Apologies for the audio issues in the last episode. Um, I think if you go on there now on iTunes, you'll be okay hearing us talking about Twin Peaks and Metro Manila and that kind of thing. And I'm also sorry that episode 001 is no longer available on iTunes. I've got my reasons, Paul, but I won't go into them. Uh, But don't worry, because we've replaced the awful films in that episode with a few awful films from this episode. (laughs) <laughs> there's two <laughs> classics in it Mm. we'll later we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll review The Deep uh, Chinese Puzzle aka Cassette Tete Chinois <laughs> um, goals always believe in your soul and uh, reality we'll be talking about those later on we'll also have um, we'll be looking back over the career and the films of John Houston, which I'm really looking forward to doing since nobody else talks about him these days indeed um, but first Paul. it's time for a little bit of news mm-hmm. and um With the rather interesting news that Mrs. Doubtfire Two has been announced. Now we've talked about this a few times already about how how much how there's been a dearth of quality American comedies uh, that don't involve people dressing up as the opposite sex, ironically enough, or big black people with lots of different voices, or Adam Sandler. Worst of all, Mm. Um, and we've been we talked about how we're (laughs) looking forward to Dumb and Dumber Two, or or as it as it was Dumb (laughs) and Dumber Two Point Five, whatever it's going (laughs) to be. Um, so I'm kind of glad with this news. I really am because you it, liked Mrs. Doubtfire. I did didn't like you? Mrs. Doubtfire. Cause but, it, how old were you when you saw it? Did you see it at the cinema when it originally came out? I have no idea. To be really honest, it sounds like a nightmare to me. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it because it, it, it's it, it's an adult comedy, and you, I, I'm obviously talking to a brick wall here, but. Well, I remember it
1: being amusing, but it's got Pierce Brosnan in, it, isn't it? He was the, indeed. Yes. Is, is he going to be in the sequel, or is it? Um, well, that's the, the point.
0: point? Um, obviously, Robin Williams is going to be back for it, um, and that's again some good news about it because you, you couldn't have some, some anybody else doing that. Well, role. I'm, a, I'm a Robin Williams fan. I even like his serious films. Which is oh like, no! I, which I, there are yeah, many I'll, people
1: that like his serious films, but. And I grew up on Mork and Mindy and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big fan of that. And his TV series at the moment, the crazy ones, I quite like. But
0: uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, I'd say, was a, was a low point, really. Uh, I, 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 I would argue he's done very little good since that. <laughs> I mean, I, I liked Good Morning Vietnam, as, 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 as I'm sure we all did. I liked Mrs. Doubtfire. I liked One Hour Photo. And I liked some of his other serious stuff. But he has done some atrocious comedies recently. Uh, no, and he, he, it's funny because his comedies are atrocious. Patch Adams uh,
1: and all of those kind of things are embarrassing, cringeworthy yeah. drivel. Uh, Which Mrs. might be Down- applied to Mrs Downfire. No, Down- no, 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 <laughs> Mrs Downfire is a little bit better than that because I remember it was quite, it was enjoyable. It wasn't particularly good, but, you know, it, it was enjoyable. But,
0: but I think it, it, we're, we are at the state, as we talked about already, that the the dearth is, su- is such that I am welcoming this back, and I'm welcoming D&D 2.5 back. Well, uh, because, up, you know, I, I think you're being unfair on Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like a, Adam Sandler. If, if there's
1: a webcam, you'd see that scrunched yeah. face he just made. No, his last few films are rubbish and dreadful and, and embarrassing, but, uh, you know, it, some of the early Adam Sandler stuff, I'd I, I
0: watch it again. Well judging on what you're judging classics by this week I think oh. it says an awful lot really But the more pros for me is that the original the regional director Chris Columbus is going to come back Now like, he's a man that, that needs this to work Because he's done some truly dreadful movies and as well I'm not going to argue with that He's done some <laughs> truly dreadful stuff But I think it's far better to have him back than to have some young upstart Who's going to come in and, and try to change this from what it really is Which essentially is Robin Williams dressed as a woman Ironically enough, not that silly and quite a plausible film. I, I, think. I agree,
1: I agree. And I think Christopher Columbus is a good choice in the sense that he makes very commercial, American Hollywood-type cinema. And that's what this will need. And I think you're right not to have someone who's going to bring some new spin on it. And it'll be in a safe pair of hands. Um, you know, I agree. Good to have Chris
0: Columbus steering this ship through the steady waters. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, and dear. Again, Robin Williams is coming back, which is um, which is good for me. Um, someone I'm not sure about they've got the guy from Elf to write the script his name's uh, David Berenbaum now I, I quite liked Elf well I liked Elf I quite liked Elf um, but I, I think I liked it because of Will Ferrell rather than the actual quality of what I was watching or rather in terms of the script is what David's going to do on this because mm. I think Elf veers towards being silly at times but it's, it's funny because that, that's Will Ferrell's forte being silly And he's a very comic actor, a clown actor almost. Mm. Ironically enough for me, Mrs. Dathfire was never actually truly silly at any point. There was always a kind of a a grown-up thread throughout where it felt plausible, whereas Elf really wasn't. But it didn't matter. But for Mrs. Dathfire, I think it does matter that that seriousness, that kind of... The family thing and all that kind of stuff that kind of held that thing together almost. Sally feels actually not being annoying for once. Uh, that, I'm worried about if they are bringing an elf guy whether that's going to work that's what I'm saying um, if they're going to stick to that I mean they should do they should do but are they that's the point point. and what? is he the right man to write the script I, I think well
1: he won't be the only man to write
0: the script no. I think he's, he's probably a nice
1: starting point because I think the logic of elf was very good and I think it was fairly coherent in its own narrative yeah. and so I think if he does that and then they'll get other writers in and equally your problem with any Robin Williams film is his he will take it over, and it will become him. And I think when he was doing Mrs. Doubtfire, that was quite early in his film career, mm. and he was actually trying to be an actor. And I think this might veer towards him taking it over and being a stereotype, yeah, yeah and, and a kind of crass caricature of the original. So, and, but I think the Elf writer's good. I don't think Elf, at least, it wasn't the writer of Elf.
0: Indeed, <laughs> 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 quite. <laughs> well, you mentioned Pierce Brosnan there before we move on to your bit of news now. There's the man that's who's made some awful movies in the past. How many years would you put it? Because you can you can go far back as even the early Bond films if you wanted to.
1: Well, I know you didn't even like the the oh, red. We're, we're not talking
0: about <laughs> Suzanne Beard Danish <laughs> thing. Oh no.
1: But I th- I, it's funny because I think he's he's an actor who's found it very difficult post Bond to find yeah. some good vehicles. He makes a lot of sort of apparently quality films. <laughs> but they're always a bit disappointing and it's because he's a bit trapped in the Bond kind of suave guy he needs to do something very different I get the feeling you know Mrs Doubtfire won't be that and I haven't really seen much he's just done a comedy with Emma Thompson yeah uh, I saw that advertised on the side of the book which is never a a good thing (laughs) yeah it sounds sounds dreadful I will check it out because I I do quite like because Pierce Brosnan I like Pierce Brosnan's Bond not the best obviously that was Roger Moore Uh, but uh, (laughs) but it's that's not controversial no, no, at all no but it is quite interesting Piers Brosnan is because I think he's a really good actor yeah and I think he knows his craft but he's really stuck in trying to find some I, good roles
0: I, I think he is stuck but I also think he felt extremely comfortable doing what he's done before yeah so I Whereas, it, whereas he is trying to do some new things, I don't think he feels comfortable doing it, so he can't actually win, I yeah, don't think. Yeah. And that's the problem. Well, and I think he's also
1: trapped in wanting it to be very commercial, yeah. rather than doing it for the art. And I think he should be, he should be so
0: rich. Now. I, mean, he I, just, should, I yeah. just saw him, well, exactly, but I saw him doing Mamma Mia, and I, and I felt embarrassed to be a man, watching him in Mamma Mia. I <laughs> well, just thought, I thought Pierce. I, I mean, I'm not expecting you to forever do these kind <laughs> of action-y things, but that was a bizarre step. And he's not really recovered for me. Well, I think, to be fair to Mamma
1: Mia, it it was one of the worst films ever made. (laughs) And to actually pick out any individual actor is unfair. I have been a bit... It's it's (laughs) terribly unfair because they were all absolutely dreadful. And how people went to see that is... I think Mamma Mia is... In fact, I think I left. Mm. I've only ever walked out 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 of two films. Three films. What was your other two? Well, one was Moulin Rouge, which the,
0: with the remake, the remake.
1: Uh, yeah, with Nicole. I'm going to say not the original. No, original no, no, no We're going to be no, talking no. about later. Uh, Nicole Kidman, and then yeah. there was one called Damage, which was a Jeremy Irons, Juliette Binoche uh, one, I and, he, and he actually had sex with her on, on a kitchen table in it. And I was, I'm a big fan of uh, <laughs> Juliette Binoche. Oh, yeah, absolutely, but it uh, got it just dreadful
0: you see that sounds, I've never seen that one That's, that doesn't sound half too bad don't to me do with those it. two in it can't be too it, bad it,
1: it was awful it was absolutely awful so it's again Mamma Mia and Pierce Brosnan I think you've been totally unfair <laughs> singling him out <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: but <laughs> only because we're talking about it and if you oh, wanted God. to talk about all the other ones in there yeah. more, we're more than welcome to on another oh. occasion oh. Uh, but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful not expectant but like, were you, like were you with D&D 2.5 I'm hopeful, mm. so let's see what happens with it. It's going to be yeah. at least a couple of years before it's ready. So yeah, well, I Wish think you're amazing. being a bit optimistic. Well, though. we'll see what happens if one of the bigger than kids. I'll have back. to watch
1: it first and then tell you whether you should watch it or not. Whether you, I you don't. I, I take your opinion as
0: much as I have sugar on my chips. So I think I'll see it on my own accord. Thank you, very much. Um. That's the news. <laughs> let's move on to our first review, then, which. Uh, the Icelandic film The Deep, which was put forward as the Icelandic nomination for this for this year's And your choice for this week. I must the out. Academy's choice. I just followed what the Academy rejected. Um it's a film based on true story of Gaudloger Fred mm-hmm. who survived over five hours in the North Atlantic Ocean after his fishing trawler capsized. And he was the only one to survive from that fishing trawler. And it was kind of a it was a big thing in Iceland this, because obviously it's fishing trawler country. Mm-hmm. And this was a huge, huge moment for future generations of fishermen, being that they kind of wanted people to put on weights before they went on these fishing trawlers, because the reason he survives, and nobody knew at the time, was because he had so much fat on him, that it basically, it was a miracle story, but, it, but also there's a whole scientific thing to, behind this, which comes later on in the film, um, and it kept him alive. Like they called it um, seal fat, like puppy fat of a seal, didn't they? Yeah, they and it, it insulated it. him for so long, and he managed to survive in that water, yep. below freezing, that nobody else could ever last more than thirty to forty minutes in. I think fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes average. So, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a story based on that. For yeah. me, it's a decent film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was initially going to call this a Sunday afternoon film, but I think I've been a little bit harsh on it. I will call it a Sunday night film. Something like, you, you, you know, at the end of the weekend, you want something to do before you go to bed, kind of thing, just before you pay yourself for an, another week of shit. And this... You, you put this film on, and I think people would enjoy it, because it's quite slow. It's quite slow. Yeah. Well, not like you people who don't have jobs, people like me, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. um, no, I, I do think it's a decent film. It's, it's the whole film it, of the week for me. It's slow... Yeah, it's my second favourite film as well. It's slow-paced, which is quite nice. My, my favourite thing about this film, let's we'll get straight to the point, is I would compare it... Put me in front of three films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Life of Pi, mm-hmm. All is Lost with Robert Redford, and this. Mm-hmm. And I would choose this one any day of the week over the other two. Well, because, I'd commit it, it, suicide if I was forced to watch Life of Pi again. Right, right uh... but the point I want to make is this, this is a real disaster movie in every sense of the word. It's boring... Not a lot happens to it. And I like it for that reason. Because I'm sorry, if you were on a fishing trawler it would and it, and it collapsed, it would not be exciting. Mm. It would be this extremely tedious process of probably on the way to death. And this film captures that, I think, fantastically well. Uh, and I agree
1: completely. And that's why I think it is... It, I would say it's an excellent film. And I think it's got a lot going for it. I think the actor who plays the main character, Gully, John L.T. Johnson. Uh, he's the fact guy. Yeah. He survives. I think he is brilliant. I think it's well directed. I think it brings together old footage, new footage, because he uses a kind of like a eight millimeter kind of yeah, yeah. structure for flashbacks, remembering his childhood. And it's funny because I don't think they—I don't think of them as flashbacks. I think of them as remembering his childhood, which I think is—it's a there is slightly different. Diff- yeah, 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 It's a difference, and I th- I thought they did that very well. I thought all the actors were very good. I liked the drama. But to me, I think what made it a really, really good film was the intense sense of pointlessness to life. Yeah. That is a very Scandinavian, Northern European thing in particular, that this captures excellently. And you see a bit more of that at the end, where you because in it, he survives, and then there's a television interview with him in the bed. And then they show you bits of the real interview yeah. at the end. And he talks about how, pretty much how life is pointless and it's just random whether you live or die. And, and I think that, that summed up the film. And so I, I think it's, it's more than a, a Sunday night film. I think it's, it's, it's well worth getting. It's brilliant. It captures Iceland very well. It captures the whole uh, kind of uh, eruption, volcanic eruption yeah. nature of a lot of, Iceland, that I think, as Britons, I didn't particularly have any awareness of that, apart from that big cloud years ago, uh, which is the title of a French film, which we will review eventually. Won't we? Not, for but, episodes, but not for three or four episodes. Not for three or four episodes. we'll find episode. out why shortly. Uh, with Danny Boone, uh, which is a comedy. But I, I and to me, I thought what was most interesting is the director's previous film, and the director is being an Icelandic, his previous film was Two Guns with Denzel yep. Washington, which, again, is is a really good film. It's a rollicking Hollywood uh, kind of uh, gangster, crime, comedy, buddy movie. The complete opposite to this. Absolutely. The complete opposite. Yeah. And he did two guns excellently and he did this excellently. And I think that's the sign of a quality director.
0: Isolation's the key for this film. Oh, totally. He, he, he's... He is incredibly normal as a person, and as you say, it's the normality of the whole situation and the normality of Iceland, because it's not even a big, it's not even in, in, nowhere near one of the, even one of the small towns in Iceland. Is it? it's no, barely a little, little village that this thing, thing happens from. Um, isolation's the key as well. Well, now, I, we've talked about we've we've talked about either off air or some other time about particularly life of Pi, where there's there's the, there's the isolation there, but there's no border. Now all this guy eventually, all he ends up doing in the sea. While he, whilst his kind of... not even swim, just like floating and hoping that he doesn't die, is reminiscing, which we talked about already, in Alien Manita mode. Reminiscing with the seagulls. And talking to seagulls. Yeah. Which comes out in the interview at the end of the film as well. And, 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 and Hollywood were like, well, that's not enough. Hollywood yeah. would, would, would say, well, how about if he saw... or if he envisaged a ship into the distance and they tried swimming towards it and then there was a giant squid that came and ate him up. That's what, how they were looking. We need to fill this vast emptiness... With something. Mm. This film, this director, deliberately didn't do that. He kept it. Water, seagull, character. And that was it for three quarters of the film? Indeed. I'll probably even say just a half, because the other half, which is is really interesting, is when it changes to English. And he arrives back on shore, and it's all science. Mm. More tests, more tests. The monotonous tests, the endless number of tests he goes through. Again, isolation, boredom. Well, I, I think the thing about isolation
1: that again separates it from, uh, say something like Life of Pi, is the notion in the deep that even if you're surrounded by people, you are in isolation. You are the only person inside your head, and you will die. Yeah. And I think and and that is random. Whereas that whereas Life of Pi is is, is in a way the kind of sentimental opposite of that. So that when you're alone, you can always dream of being with people. Yeah. yeah. Isn't life the community grand? And I think that's a very different philosophy which I think damages Pi and makes this uh, a far superior
0: film and, all, and a cut above the average. And all of the all of the people doing tests on him, you just get the impression that not one of them gave one iota about him. Mm. You know, they didn't care about him. They just wanted the science out of it. And, and when he said, right, I want to go home now, they did everything they can to kind of persuade him to do these bloody tests. And it's just... it's a remarkable picture of how it is to be in a very small Northern European town being a completely normal Northern European person the incredible loneliness that you feel the incredible boredom once again the isolation once again it's different It, it won't be for everyone but out of the films we've seen this week I would recommend it above most. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say it's probably up there with, with one of the
1: other films. Not the one you're going to choose, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think You can th- guarantee yeah. that. Well, I think <laughs> the other thing is, is that it isn't. And it isn't about heroic individualism. No. Which is what the Robert Redford one yeah. is to some extent. And a lot of those isolation ones are about how the individual hero... It is purely about the random nature of his survival. And he accepts that it was just purely random. And almost the entire community goes back and it's kind of like... A random thing. So he's not a hero. He is a little bit, but he's more. A, he's not a hero. He's an object of curiosity because he just survived, and that's it.
0: And when and when he does go back, nobody actually cares all that much. Exactly. Cause so because it, like, it isn't about him being a hero. And I, I thought that was. I, I'd say the word brilliant. I thought it was bordering on a really brilliant film. I liked. I liked the fact that. Clearly, I think, as you said, this was so subtly done. I think it put itself forward for that which must not be named, mm. just so people could find out about the man behind the story and the story itself and that it's a true story. Because he did Jarhead, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, have you seen Jarhead? No. It's brilliant. You should get Jarhead. No, thank
1: you. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically... no, no, Jarhead is, is, a, is a thriller and I think in Iceland and it's
0: brilliant. But um, I like the fact that when I question you see, because we, we, we're going to be watching a lot of these that get nominated but don't make it through to the final shortlist of that which from not mm-hmm. names. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch quite a few of those over the next few months. Um, and I always think, well, why did, why did this country put this one forward? Now, Iceland's a fairly regular cinema making country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, genuinely be- I genuinely like the reasons why they put this forward. It is for the story. Because I, I didn't know about it, I didn't know about yourself no, before this film, no, and, and I'm guessing all of our listeners won't either. Um, and, and why would it actually, if you think about it? Because mm. we are not necessarily that kind of. We don't have that cultural obsession with going out and trawling, Well, Absolutely. in Scotland we do, but not down here in Wolverhampton. Um, Indeed. So yeah, I do. I like. I do like everything about this film. I didn't love it. You liked it more than I did, but second film of the week for me. I'm same for you. Let's move on then to our next one. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs>
1: A uh, Chinese puzzle, Casset tete chinois, with uh, Cedric Clappish, who did a film called My Piece of the Pie in 2011, which I thought was brilliant—a very politically uh, motivated film about greed and corruption by capitalists and you know workers taking the. Their, their piece of the pie which was excellent and, and, and quite revolutionary in its ideas a film you'd never get made in England so this is about a 40 year old father of two who finds life complicated he's a successful author but his, his wife divorces him takes his kids to New York and he follows them there where whilst he's there he is also given a baby to his French lesbian friend <laughs> who likes... Uh, having sex with younger women without telling the partner who's a kind of Asian American uh, American actress who's actually in hostages on Channel 4 at the moment as a bad guy bad woman and also then his first partner follows him over there and he falls back in love with her it was shit (laughs) I'm I'm not going to make any defence of this Uh, it, it to me, it had everything going for it. I I, I quite like Audrey Tattoo. I like Cecile de France. Uh, I quite like Roman Duris. I can even see past his very big teeth. Uh, but it was just like someone should just slap around the head and yeah. say, "Get on with your life." It it was kind of, I think I watched it with someone who made a very good point. As you know, Europeans and a lot of Americans, we have a very romantic view. About Paris, yeah. If you live in Paris, <laughs> what do you have a romantic view about? It's not Paris. It's obviously New York, yeah. And it's where you the French love to go to make their romantic spring comedies, which is what this is. It's not very funny. It's not very dramatic. The English actress who is actually in flight with Denzel Washington as a random drug addict, yeah, is atrocious. <laughs> Uh, pointless Uh, the complexity of the plot is quite shallow and again vague and tragic and equally the ease with which he gives up being a successful novelist in France or writer to becoming basically a (laughs) cycle career in New York and again it was that other thing of people with too much money and too much time doing fuck all
0: for no purpose and it's just dull. I completely. We are going to agree on this. <laughs> but I think you knew what you were getting me into with this. I did I, I think you deliberately I rubbed me up with this one. No. First of all, <laughs> get past the Hannibal Barbera opening credits. Too long and too <laughs> arty. Which you know I don't like. You know I don't like it when two people have conversations in two different languages. Um, you know, what the American and, and, and Roman is. Basically French. and She understood him perfectly but didn't speak French back. Incredibly annoying. The incessant narration, which you know I hate, i.e. The Wall, which people can no longer hear on the iTunes episode 001. Although I recommend it, it's a great film. God-awful film. Um, Ah. The the thing about literature that shows its face, although that annoys me a lot less than all the other tropes to do with French cinema. This, I completely agree, I'm going to skip straight ahead to the point that you made about people with too much money, because I think this film compares absolutely terribly with a film a few episodes ago, a film we're going to talk about later on today and a film from last episode. People in um, Metro Manila, mm-hmm. no money, Yep, they have poor lives. No, they they move to a different part of the world, different part of the country even, to make it better for themselves and you like them for that. They're honest people. The director doesn't try and make you feel sorry for them. We talked about that last time. Great. Going back to um, uh, the great beauty, mm. people with lots of money moaning for no real reason. So you've got all you've got those two different kinds, and I think this compares extremely unfavorably to that, to both of those for that reason. Because this, I mean, come on, this guy—he's got a reasonable life in Paris. <laughs> so he's, uh, well, uh, uh, exactly. well, He's got a great life. He's in got Paris. a great life in Paris, you know. As if, he feels as if life owes him something. I have to fly to New York. Poor me, poor me. Do me a favour. Well, and he's never short of money, which is, again, it's trying to, things are too He had expensive. no job in this film for a long time, <laughs> and he kept buying stuff. He kept, you know, he had a, he had lots of, what well, is he kept problem? buying a lawyer to get his kids
1: into a different school, which, again, seemed a kind of really random point. And I think the thing about the Manila one is, is that the emotion is driven by the narrative that is affected by the, Emotion, and the thing about the grand beauty, the great, beauty so. the great beauty, and this one is, is that the emotion is all there is, and if the emotion is actually fundamentally quite
0: banal, bourgeois drivel, the narrative. But is how, well. how, how, how? Oh, I'm just going to have to go to New York. How that could be a troubling, unfair life event, you know? When, when he says most people have a life that goes from A to B. I wish mine was like that. And then he just goes on a plane to New York. I'm sorry, I'm not getting this. Mm. And not only that, you know, not only that, he wants to make a lesbian pregnant, and he wants his girlfriend to be completely happy about that situation. What is this guy all about, really? I, I, I'm not like you. I can't get on with the Roman Jewish because he is an arrogant-looking man. <laughs> Whether he is the nicest person on this planet outside of films. Fine. But then he needs
1: to play an Arrogant. He you know, does need to do that. For example, I think there's, there's, a, there's, there's a... He was in a, one of his early films about a pianist who does a bit of gangsterism on the side and he's not a very good pianist and he doesn't get into college or whatever. He's really good in it. I can't forget what it's called. Uh, but he's really good in that because he, he, he plays what you've just described yeah. him. And perhaps But I don't like to see it. Well, it, you would like to see him in it and I think if he does that. But again, these are all just like... as a romantic... Comedy lead, <laughs> he doesn't really cut the mustard, and and I generally didn't know it would be that bad because I did I I you know I thought it would be amusing witty sophisticated. It's the big hit of France, and I'm my estimation
0: of French cinema guys is dri- diving I, I, again for, for that reason of the the saw who was in it and thought oh, gotta be a hit, hasn't it? it well, and I think well, it is one
1: of the few that's going to be released in England this year because I think uh, and again one of the reasons I've picked the ones I've picked over the last few. All those are going to be, for example, uh, Mood Indigo yeah. that opens in London next week. And don't go and see it if you've got any sense. Uh, and if like- you are, go and see that rather than this <laughs> <mix> for quite <laughs> <that> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Yeah, because Mood Indigo has a lot of good ideas in it that just gets lost in the whole sea of it. But I did generally think it would be better than it was. I mean, I, as I as actually thought it was all
0: this was thoroughly pretentious all the way through. Oh. I thought it was morally corrupt as well, yeah. and I also thought it was racist at times. Did you get did you get did you get some of that as well? Uh, yeah. Particularly with the the scene where there was an Asian and a black character having a fight, and I thought, and, and you know, the, the great white friendly Frenchman was. I thought, no, this is, yeah. the, I, and actually look. He looked down on non-French American immigrants. I thought at times, which I thought was absolutely <laughs> bizarre. I think, oh, I mean, ironically enough, being that France is obviously full of African immigrants as well, yeah. which I quite uncomfortable coming from a French director. If you're going to go, if you're going to go do that, yeah. then you know it suffered look from a
1: from a foreigner's view of a multicultural society. Yeah, absolutely, where he wanted to sort of say, "Oh, it's really multicultural," but couldn't really get there with the, the black on. And how the French guys. ones
0: kind of suffer in New York? like, yeah, no, I mean, no, 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 let's not go there, mate. You know, no. let's not go there.
1: You know, and then the bit about his parents and. You know, it slipped into immense, immeasurable depths of sentimentality. That again, if it was trying to be in a serious emotional drama, it just pushed it. Over. I didn't think
0: it had any. I didn't think it had any focus at all. Yeah, and- I, I just thought it was like fluttering around, trying to find interest in its own narrative. Never mind. I, I think the director got lost himself. Actually, I don't think I think he lost his way halfway through. And-
1: I think the only thing you can say for it is it, it was about middle-aged people. But again, it was the middle-aged people version of the young people you tend to see in most films who have too much money, too much time and too little to do.
0: For me, this was the worst film we've ever reviewed until we talk about the next one on this list. <laughs> well, so that, that's my big problem with this one. And, and speaking of that, let's move on to this film called Gold always believe in your soul without the lyrics for that it's just called Gold go ahead Paul
1: I thought Gold was brilliant I know you did uh, <laughs> uh, it's, and that concerns it, it's, me deeply it's a German western <laughs> set in 1898 uh, basically in Canada they're travelling through Canada to the Gl- Klondike Gold Rush uh, it's got Nina Hoss in it who was in Barbara yeah. which again was another excellent yeah. East, a German East German kind of a period film and beautifully shot that one indeed as was this as it wasn't which uh, <laughs> a, a, a lot of people thought that it was too clean and too beautiful yeah. they thought it was too clean mm-hmm. too beautiful nothing happens I like those people and
0: uh, I think I'm one of them most.
1: well and the thing is is I agree with that as an assessment but that was why it was brilliant mm-hmm. I think it is about and it referred back to that notion of isolation that the deep captured about the pointlessness of life and some people who were going through that out to the West gave up and died. Other people reverted to violence, prostitution, drink. And this uh, woman and another man just ended up surviving by just keeping on the journey. And it was a metaphor for life that, you know, some lives are shit and you give them up. Other lives... And some lives are like blessed by watching shit films like this. And some, some... some <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and I did genuinely think The Deep and Gold were a fantastic double bill of uh, really miserable existentialist dramas, but done in a way that I thought was so, so good. I know
0: you do, I know. <laughs> well, the, the, the film called Gold that I watched was totally uninteresting, and I think it failed cataclysmically on every single level. No character development whatsoever. Um, which works in the deep because you're not supposed to know this normal bloke. Mm. And he's so normal, you don't need to know anything about him. It doesn't work here because you're supposed to be on this journey of pointlessness. And I, I, and I agree, it's an extremely pointless journey. Mm. But I don't think it works nearly on the same level as the deep for that reason. Because the deep is... You could call it a horror film, but what it basically is, is it's an action film. Mm. Just done completely oppositely. Mm-hmm. This... Has the has the makings of a similar thing, but it just doesn't deliver on any of it. Like you, you cannot have all these people on this on this adventure and not get to know any of them throughout the entire film. It's absolutely
1: horrifically marred. I think that was its strength. I, you're right. You had no idea, except for very minor stuff, why any of them were on it. And and those that you did, it, it was it was about that they were going on this journey for hope, and hope dies. And all there is left is the journey. And this captured that philosophy, which again is a very uh, Teutonic, Northern European, you know, existentialist thing. And it captured it perfectly. It's not a film you're going to sit there and think, well, this is really good. It's not that kind of a film. And I would say it is with The Deep, the two films of the week, because I think they're companion
0: pieces. I thought all the conversations that happened throughout the film were totally inconsequential to anything that was happening. Totally it, inconsequential. Absolutely. That's the point. But you, the point is, is that I am not watching films for that reason. I, I, I will never watch films for that reason. The, the same reason that I absolutely despise The Wall and I despised Wandering Streams when I haven't talked about Wandering Streams too much and we'll never will on this podcast. <laughs> um, but... I, I I cannot watch films to watch the pointlesses of life for the simple reason that I know full well how pointless life can be. I don't need to I don't need to be watching a mirror. So yeah, but I, you know, but you do because for example, uh, Metro
1: Manila was to some extent a very similar kind of thing. Totally so disagree. A, it gives you a little bit of hope at the end, but it's about a main guy who dies. But you get to know him to and what extent, he does for his family.
0: Absolutely. All these people It was a different kind of all film. All these though. people, you know they're on this journey in the gold to do to to, to get the gold. But you don't know anything about them at any point, And why should I care? I was actually, I was actually sad they didn't die sooner <laughs> one by one. I wanted them all <laughs> to die as soon as possible. It, and also the way that it looked, it did look too modern. It looked far, far too clean. It looked like 2018, not, not 1898. I, and, and, and I'm going to disappoint myself by saying this. But it needed a gimmick. Either a different colour hue, a lens filter... Shot in a different ratio. Something to make it look old. And I would normally despise that kind of thing. Because it doesn't normally add things. But this looked like it was made yesterday. It really, really did. And that was the gimmick. I thought that no, was the gimmick. No, they, no, no. Let me, let me say this. I think, because
1: you're right. It all looked absolutely beautiful. And that was the point. Because it was untouched by the dirty hand of humanity. And that's why that was the choice. I think that was a conscious choice to make it look like a a kind of true fantasy version of nature before the misery of human exploitation. And I and again, that just added to it for me. That's total pretentious rubbish. It looked too good. (laughs) And basically... You cannot say that's total... We're doing a film podcast. We (laughs) We are totally pretentious people.
0: (laughs) It looked far too good. Basically, the Blu-ray of Waking Fright not only looks amazing... It looks like it was made yesterday. Mm. It looks like 1940s, 1950s Australia. Mm. That's the difference. That's how you make a film look old with new technology. That is, they did it perfectly. I, but I this guess, is a joke. No, I'm, I'm going to argue that was a choice,
1: and I think it worked very well for what it was. Again, you know, well, this was a, this was a choice too. He chose to do it that way. Yeah. So he and, chose but, wrongly. No, no I think he chose correctly. Whereas I think it's much easier to make something uh using modern technology to make something old particularly when those things still exist and you're you're making a point about that period this was trying to make a contemporary point and it is about contemporary society in the past it's a whole view of life as now enacted in the past and, and the journey and all that we have to
0: look forward to is death one or two of us might survive to something i i had, i would i would soon rather it, 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 <laughs> if i knew there was a massive meteorite coming and everyone was in a nuclear bunker and this was the only thing available to watch i would actually go and stand outside the bunker this is how appalling this film was i absolutely <laughs> hated the living daylights side of it let's yeah. move on to, let's move on to the final film which by no means for my film of the week is, is a compliment for this one either um, it, reality. Simply called Reality. It's an Italian film directed by Matteo Garoni, who I'm a huge fan of, actually. I'm not, As you know, Paul, I'm not a fan of Italian cinema generally. and I know you're not either. No, I'm not. Um, this one isn't too bad, though, because I like... I like This one works, for, again, com- it actually compares quite interestingly enough to The Great Beauty game. The Great Beauty is full of people with money that just moan for no reason. The people in reality are people who don't have money and moan <laughs> but they have a right to moan because they live in Naples now I'm going to go into a little bit of detail I know I am quite up on Italian culture as you know Paul but the listeners don't um, and what's interesting about Matteo Garoni is that he's from Rome and there is a great north-south divide in Italy uh, and pretty much everybody hates Neapolitans and Napoli and Naples uh, so for him to, do a fil- to to do most of his films actually in the south of Italy is quite an interesting point for me um, and indeed, his last film was the Gomorrah documentary, which, which is fantastic. I think mm-hmm. you've, you've seen that at yep. some point. Yep. Um, for those who don't know who the Gomorrah are, they are basically the mafia of Naples. Um, and this film encapsulates perfectly Naples. It's a massive, massive contradiction in terms. You've got areas of outstanding beauty mixed with the fact mixed with basically an underclass, an unemployed underclass, and the streets are full of rubbish. Mm-hmm. The Gamor control all the markets. The prices are inflated, filling their own pockets. It's like Birmingham, it's it, it's <laughs> it's like it's like West Bromwich. Um, <laughs> hello, all West Brom listeners. Um, and the film, this film, is about Luciano, who is a fishmonger, a part of the underclass, but who, who at least has a job. Now he develops a sudden obsession with fame because he applies to go on Grande Fratello, the Italian version of Big Brother. So you've got the fishmonger trying to become a celebrity. So again, you've got areas of outstanding wealth on that uh, that TV show mixed with him being a fishmonger. And for me, not only does it encapsulate Naples perfectly, it's just the dream in all of us. All of us just want a little bit of fame. Why are we doing this podcast? We want people to download and listen to us. Well, of course, we do, and offer us like. money, obviously. Well, yeah, but but we all have a dream that where we'd like to be, maybe something. More than we're not, and for the fact, and this is a demise of a family man, and indeed the demise of his family to give up a relatively successful fishmonger business for this dream of reality to become a reality star that never actually happens. Spoilers coming, and please avert your ears because you want to see the ending to this film. So, for the next minute, go and put put the kettle on or something. He does eventually get into the Big Brother house, and nobody cares. Yeah. I, but he's happy. He's happy but nobody gives a flying toss. And I thought that was a terrific ending to what it was for me the film of the week.
1: I agree with you, but didn't particularly like it. I think it didn't tell you anything you hadn't seen elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. I Um, think it didn't tell you in a particularly original way. And I think the only way I liked it was by seeing it as about Italy. It's not about individuals. It's about Italy and its obsession with fame and celebrity, as epitomised by Berlusconi, and everything that he represents, as that as becoming the soul of Italy, rather than... Uh, I disagree entirely. Well, I think that's what it's about. But again, I didn't particularly care. I think you talk about the people in gold that you, you didn't care about. I think it didn't explore hope in a way that was stimulating enough to make it either enjoyable or challenging. I did quite like the ending, and I thought that was that was a very because it veered.
0: I thought it was very disturbing actually. Yes, I was creeped out a bit by it. Yes, it, just, it was almost ghostly to be honest. Because you thought he was getting better and he
1: was getting over his obsession with celebrity and Big Brother, and then all of a sudden you realise he's not. And, and then it, there is no escape from it, really, for him. Which, again, is why I see it as being about Italy. And again, it's a very bleak view of Italy and humanity. And although I like the deep and, the, and gold for, the, for their kind of pointlessness of life, I really didn't like the kind of hopelessness of reality. Because at least in gold and the deep... There is hope, even if it's a really bleak isolation mm. hope. You know the fact that one person still gets to complete the journey or continue the journey in gold, and there is someone alive at the end of the deep, and he does live in a community where they exist. Reality was a really miserable tale that I didn't offer me anything. I didn't know. I didn't think in in any way that was challenging. It, I didn't like the fact that the main actor is a convicted killer
0: mm.
1: on day release from prison, making the film.
0: You've been on IMDb again, haven't I you? I have been on IMDb.
1: Where are you getting much of your uh, opinions from, really? That, that disturbs me. <laughs> and Wikipedia, of course. Uh, and that disturbed me a little bit, uh, particularly the kind of character he was playing. But again, Although he was quite again, good. It fits in with Naples. Yeah, but, and, <laughs> but he was quite good. Uh, but I, I didn't like... And I thought where they lived in this kind of semi-derelict yep. mansion was fantastic. Yeah. But again, it didn't do enough with it. Uh, they kept it in the dark a bit too much, which may well have been a metaphor for this kind of mental state or whatever. But there was just too much. I didn't like the wedding at the beginning that sets off the Yeah, that, that, that's
0: the, the only bit I didn't enjoy the film. I, I, I was really confused about what was happening, who was involved. When it finally got out of that really odd kind of and I'm not sure what that was there for to be honest it, yeah. it, tried to show, it, it tries to show uh, Luciano as uh, an upbeat fun guy because he dresses in drag to make people laugh but you don't, don't realise it's him until quite a way into the film actually the, who was that guy <laughs> at the beginning who dressed up in that blue wig he's yeah. like oh it was Luciano oh okay yeah. but then he, uh, when it gets to the audition bit then it's, you can actually start to kind of grasp what's going on uh, I mean, I've, I, mean I, I disagree entirely that it's about Italian society and their need for fame what it, is with, what, it is, what it is with Italian society is the need for money because it's, a, it's, it's essentially a nation where they have 13% unemployment rate at the moment, last time I checked. So he, and I, I wonder enough Luciano has a job but that's not enough for him and Absolutely. that speaks absolute volumes for well, society. it's about
1: it's about celebrity I think again and Italy's obsession with that because even their politics is celebrity driven which is why they elect born but, actors. But,
0: th- but then you said it's, it's just about Italy I think that's entirely across the world frankly uh, if, not, if not over the world I wouldn't dispute that that it, that it, it could be extrapolated
1: to be uh, I mean about, look at this country for crying yeah, out while like, look, look at France, absolutely. look at Germany but yeah. I think as an Italian film it's about Italy and I think if we did it it would be about Britain but you can extrapolate it and I think that's true and I think that was the way I got the most out of it but I
0: it, again I think it was just under two hours far too long <laughs> I, I, I would wager with you Paul Give it that people will enjoy that more than the gold? And, and I'm sure you'd be very proud to be uh, at that I'd one, say also. yes, yes.
1: I think reality in the deep, people will enjoy Chinese Puzzle, they won't, and gold. I think you've got to be in a really particular mood to enjoy
0: gold. You've got to have a noose around your neck to enjoy gold. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <looking at>. um, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't dispute that. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, That's reviews done for this week. But, um,
1: but I think reality, I think a lot of people would enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Particularly if you watch Big Brother. And I think there's there's a whole kind of uh, audience there that you if if you, if if you're if you're a listener to the podcast and you know people you think wouldn't like you know European cinema subtitle, yeah. but they like Big Brother and that kind of get them to watch this yeah. and I think they'll get a lot out of it yeah and I think there'll be a, a, a new way of looking at a
0: lot of the things in every ordinary person's check life. check out Gomorrah, most of all. If people haven't seen that Gomorrah documentary, they must see that. Uh, Talked about documentaries uh, last episode, obviously forgot to mention that one. Cracking, cracking documentary, and he is—I like him, and I, I'm going to keep keep watching his stuff. He's one of the—he's one of the few Italian directors that I will give a stuff about, basically. Um, let's move on to our looking back part. Now, this you have got something for me, Paul. It's your turn, <laughs> and I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about John Houston um, for the simple reason that he's done a lot of films. Most of which have been nominated for something, and yep. that's always a good sign. And I, I can't remember the last time, as I said to you, off podcast, I can't remember the last time I saw any of these on the TV.
1: Why? Uh, I think because they're by and large in black and white, not exclusively, but a, a significant number of the great ones are. Uh, Wise Blood was actually on television the other day, but you had to really look out for that one. To me, John Houston, when I was when I was your age and mm. perhaps a bit younger, there was a couple of directors who perhaps were coming to the end of their lives, who your ambition in life is to see every film they made, uh, and, and and that is sadly true of me in relation to Woody Allen, and I am having therapy for that one because the last fifteen are crap, but only, <laughs> only only the first four anyway. <laughs> so yeah, the first ten are okay, the last twenty-five are rubbish. Uh, but John Huston was one of those directors that I grew up with where it was on the television a lot yeah. and yeah. again that's that's we've spoken about how different television is nowadays and you wanted to see everything he'd made uh, i think the very fact that uh, he 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 got 17 actors oscars which is kind of a record uh he has two very famous children, Angelica yeah. Houston, who he got an Oscar for one yeah. of his films. Danny Houston is an actor as well. Quite a lot of things. I think we'll be talking about one of his films in the future, whether you like it or not. It's not French, so you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he, 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 in a way, defined cinema for the from the forties to to the eighties. Really, uh, Pritzy's Honor, which was an Oscar winner for Angelica Houston with Jack Nicholson. Made in 84, back to the treasure of Sierra Madre 46. Yeah. Oscars for his dad, uh, Walter Houston. Again, who was a big star anyway. And But I think the thing about John Houston, he was an actor as well. So a lot of people will have seen him in in uh, Chinatown. Chinatown is one of the great films of the 70s. So he's, he plays the old grizzly old dad in that of, of uh, Faye Dunaway. But if you just look at the films he has directed at, and usually written as well, they are an oh, a, I mean, I mean, a to Z oh, genius.
0: Absolutely. I mean, even right at the start The Maltese Falcon. Yep. Absolute classic. Right in the middle. You've got a classic at every point. Now, we were t- I can't remember who we were talking about where um, a classic every decade, who I think we mentioned to somebody on one of the previous podcasts. Mm. Um, this guy's got a... Classic every half a decade. Well, every other film. Every other film, uh, basically, yeah. which, uh, but, you know... Which so includes the, Escape to Victory, I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, absolutely, it is It is a good film, Escape to Victory. It's a monumental film. As a film, yeah. you know, and I think that was the thing. He was a master craftsman of filmmaking. Cause it, so even if you, for example, see Casino Royale, 1966 which is possibly the worst Bond movie of all, yeah. he's in it, but equally the bits he directed are the best bits in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, But if you just read the list, and it actually defines genres as they went on. For example, The Ashfelt Jungle in 1949 is the defining film in the heist movie mm. with Sterling Hayden, where they rob a racetrack. Uh, it's as simple as that. It's a very narrow thing. It's brilliant. And I'd recommend
0: it. I mean, Night of the Iguana, African Queen. I mean, we just, just if we actually just went through the entire list of film, which we're not going to do, it's just a great filmography that you know it's unrivalled. But this is a Something I want to make uh, as we start to round this up for this episode. Um, when you get people talking about legendary directors, people tend to only really talk about the ones that visually do things. Mm. Like you hear an awful lot of people saying Tarantino is a legendary director. And maybe for some reasons he is, but not for the quality of what he's made. Hitchcock, I would even argue, maybe controversially, the same. You know, I'd, there's an awful lot of Hitchcock films that I don't like, mm. and I don't think any of the, some of them are nowhere are anywhere near as good as people would like to think they are. It's just the way that he did it visually, editing, camera, all that kind of thing. This this list, however. It's the way it looks, it's the way it's made, it's the way people act in it, it's the way that it's written, it's the way that he's directed it. The whole party. And is numbers just, just thinking of the numbers. Yeah. You know, he was knocking out two
1: films a year pretty much. Every other one a classic. You know, I like Quentin Tarantino, but you know, he's made what half a dozen films in I mean, the, and, and the let's years. be honest,
0: and let's be honest, people still talk about pulp fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I think really people need to have to get over that film now, but they can't. Uh, and I so, think he didn't
1: make a bad film. Some some were a bit. Of course, you're not going like,
0: to Of course, you're not going to like everyone.
1: Yeah. Uh, but even those that they were, they were The reason you don't like them is they're because they're dated. I think he made the timepieces. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, but equally, that could apply to the films of Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I mean he he made some some decent films that have aged ridiculously awfully. Yeah and yet they're not bad films in their own right so that's one thing to you know plus he has a postage stamp to him which came out in 2012 yes. so but, but. <laughs> so where would you where, where, where would you put him in your list I, you know I like to ask you where do you put things in the list because it's nice and easy for people to understand where in, for American, in the history of American directors where would you put this guy number one you would I'd put him number one by far I think I, in fact I'd probably
1: make him number one in the world mm. of the period and the number and the very thing that he, in a way, his films gave me the love of cinema.
0: I see. I didn't know about that. So that's quite interesting. And I think
1: that yeah. that makes him number one. So even I thought you'd have chosen some French director. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because even the you know Truffaut, for yeah, example, yeah. I'm a big fan of Truffaut. That's but a smart. lot of his films are a bit dull and a bit boring. <laughs> uh, they, and that may be the point, and you could quite enjoy it for that. But you uh, could quite enjoy it. for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but I I think. Uh, John Huston is, even when he was acting in crap, uh, like uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, where he plays one of the apes, that, you know, or even The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean with Paul Newman, another Western. It'd be interesting to watch something like The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean with Gold, actually. Uh, and again, it's my era as well. So I, I, I grew up with the latter part of his career at the cinema, going to the cinema. And I grew up as a child with all of his stuff on the television. But he made some fantastic stuff outside of the Hollywood yeah. system yeah. that stuck it like wise Blood It's from a Flannery O'Connor novel with Brad Dourif. Uh, really bizarre. He's a religious zealot. He wears a fantastic hat and he flagellates himself a lot and it's really about Southern American kind of evangelical Christianism and how terrible it is whether you're for or against it that's what it's about and it's a fantastic film and he he, he and he did he made some films that you think oh god you'd hate it and I hated it but he made it well Annie being the number mm. one which that should have been my news really that they're making Annie again aren't they they're not all that. yeah Oh, good Lord. Which I think is the
0: third... I'm going to say it's the third it's time. It's the third time, yeah.
1: redoing Annie. But I think another... And I grew up, because I grew up in the 70s, I, uh, the thing I loved were political conspiracy theory films, mm. like The Manchurian Candidate. And there's one called... Uh, what's it called? Where is it here? Winter Kills, which is fantastic. He made every genre. Comedies, westerns. Heist movies, gangster films, uh, westerns, you name it. He made every genre. And most directors are good in one genre. Of course. And he—and there's nothing wrong with that. And even like Moby Dick. And he, he was so confident in his own skills, he let actors write their own dialogue. So, for example, there's a long bit in Moby Dick of Orson Wells as a preacher. John Huston didn't write any of that. Orson Wells did. Yeah. And he said to him, you go with it. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Even if you just get Moby Dick to watch the Awesome Wells bit, then the way Houston gives him the freedom to do it. And again, The Night of the Iguana, when I, when that was an, in, another seminal film I saw when I was young. The best Richard Burton film yeah. ever. The best Deborah Kerr film ever. The best Ava Gardner film ever. Yeah. Absolutely Terrific. brilliant, brilliant stuff. Two more questions. Mm. What's your favourite? What's my favourite? I think. It's got to be The Night of the Iguana really because I think it, it's such a theatrical piece yeah. um, because I've actually seen it at the National Theatre in London as well. It's a purely theatrical piece which he makes work for cinema that theatre isn't really capable of even doing even though it's a theatrical piece. And so I think uh, The Night of the Iguana if you only watch one film that's it. And Fat and, and City I, I grew up with a great admiration for Stacey Keach and Stacey Keats now appears. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and Stacey Keats, you know, in the 70s, was the great American actor, uh, which is hard to believe when you see him. When you see him now, <laughs> now yeah. And so, but again, I, I would say, get his filmography off of IMDbD, Wikipedia, and work your way through everything. Because it is, if you want to know about American cinema and everything in American cinema, it is entirely in his career.
0: And I'm having Andrew I'm having Andrew Bajowski as the next John Houston. <laughs> I'm calling it on the podcast, I say, with no sense of irony whatsoever. Thank you for downloading us everybody.